Who is the man who could have evoked such words from the psalmist? Today we'll be reading about him and of the psalm that comes in response to this. We'll begin by reading together from 1 Samuel 21, the verses 1 to 10, and after that, chapter 22, the verses 6 to 23. David is fleeing from Saul here, and he is looking for aid We read here, Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David, and said to him, Why are you alone, and no one is with you? So David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business, and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you, or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is, in effect, common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Allah, there it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. For there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. So that was early during David's flight. And he has gone to various places, including spending time in the court of Achish temporarily and leaving his family with the king of Moab, traveling all across the countryside from one side of the nation to the other. But still in the back of his mind, he has this memory of what took place in Nob. And we come now to chapter 22, the verses 6 to 23. So David has fled once again. And when Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, now Saul was staying in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with his spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. Then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, you Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? 
All of you have conspired against me, and there is no one who reveals to me that my son made a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me, or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait, as it is this day. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. He answered, Here I am, my lord. Then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him? that he should rise against me to lie in wait, as it is this day. So Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law, who goes at your bidding and who is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father, for your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. And the king said to Doeg, you turn and kill the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priests and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of priests, he struck with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. But with me, you shall be safe. Psalm 52 now is a response to these events. David has just received Abiathar into his court, and he reflects on this, on what has taken place. We read there, to the chief Musician, and this is our text. A contemplation of David when Doeg the Edomite went and told Saul and said to him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor working deceitfully. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. 
You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy you forever. He shall take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, Here is the man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name for it is good. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you can hardly imagine the pain and the guilt that David must have felt. When he had first come to those priests at the town of Nob, as we read, he had noticed Doeg the Edomite sitting off to the side and said that he was detained there for, before the Lord for some reason. So possibly because of ceremonially, ceremonial uncleanness, he might have had to offer a, a sacrifice for cleansing there. But he was there. David had seen that in passing and something in his mind went That probably won't turn out well. And now, after all that has taken place, he says to Abiathar, the grandson of Ahimelech, the third of that generation, to serve there in Nob before the Lord. He says, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul. Though it was obviously Doeg who did the killing, you can still see how that feeling of responsibility weighs on David. I have caused the death of all of the persons in your father's house. If only I had done something different. If only I had intervened in some way. I knew what kind of person Doeg was. I might not have known that he would go to this extent, but does that really make me innocent? He takes charge of Abiathar, promising to take care of him. Stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. But will that really be enough? The only repayment he can give is one of being a fugitive being one who's constantly on the run. The only safety that he can give is if he kills you, then that means he also got to me. Precious little comfort he can give there to Abiathar. For those who feel guilt of responsibility, who feel that they ought to have known better, perhaps David's response and David's feelings here may be ones that you can relate to. To give all that he can and recognize that despite all of that, he can never give Abiathar his family back. And to grieve. I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. While it may not necessarily be true, the weight of that is still what he is feeling. 
But in his prayer here in Psalm 52, we can find comfort. His prayer, though with words that are angry and strong, words that, that feel almost wrong in their, in their heat against Doeg, he is able to express his emotions. He is able to be real. And having vented all of that to God, he is able to find peace because he remembers something. I proclaim to you the word of God today, the loving kindness of God endures forever. We'll see, first of all, that it's despite the boasts of evil men. Secondly, evil will be uprooted. Third, ending in the flourishing of the righteous. As he comes to God in prayer, privately pouring out his grief, one of the most horrific things that come to David's mind is that Doeg the Edomite is not a repentant man. He's done one of the most horrific things that you could possibly imagine. This was where the sanctuary of the tabernacle was, and this would be the equivalent, you could almost say, him going in, uh, Ahimelech was the chief priest at this time. This was the equivalent, you could almost say, of a Roman Catholic going into the Vatican and killing the Pope and all of the cardinals and priests who are there. It's a picture of those who see the most holy thing possible before them on this earth. The people who are meant to be there, to intervene on behalf of the people of God. And to go in there into this most holy of places and kill them all. And he is not repentant of it. This is one of the most horrific things possible. And not only does he not repent, he actually boasted. Why do you boast in evil, almighty man? Doeg is a man who is from Edom, and Edom is a country that's located south and to the east of Judah. It's a little bit more in the desert where you find trade routes traveling up and down through that region, and it's an area which has been able to become powerful. God's people were always supposed to deal kindly with people from Edom. In Deuteronomy 23, verse 7, they are reminded, he is your brother, because Edomites were descended from Esau. And yet, though they were meant to express kindness, and he's able to actually come into the courts of the house of the Lord, he replies with evil. He replies with anger. He has a hatred towards God's people. And what most clearly defines the people of God? The worship of God, shown at its center in the tabernacle of God. Nob was the location to where the tabernacle of God had been moved. It was formerly at Shiloh, and you had the attack of the Philistines, and it seems that they fled from there to Nob and set up, and they found safety there. And by going in there, 
he would have felt like he struck a blow at the heart and soul of the Jewish religion. He's boasting about this. Then you see David's point of view when he's looking at this man too. He says, why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? There's a sense of sarcasm there. They compare David's mighty men from back in the day when David eventually became king. These men who were men of nobility, who were men of strength, who were warriors to this mighty man. In 1 Samuel 21, verse 7, he is a man who simply looked after sheep, the chief herdsman. He's mighty indeed to strike down priests, men not educated in the art of war. And going beyond that, women and children and animals, he didn't have to slaughter the animals. He didn't have to slaughter anybody else. It wasn't even what he was commanded to do, and yet he still did it. He devises destruction with his tongue. He takes something that is good and uses it for evil. It says, your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor working deceitfully. And the picture that is here is one who is using that razor to cut the hair. And then instead, while someone is at their most vulnerable position there, using it to kill them with. Simply because he loves evil more than good. Simply because he delights in the havoc that he has caused. This is truly an evil man. While this man Doeg is now gone, many years gone past, and his body lies in the grave, his master, the devil, remains. And he has shaped many people throughout history in similar ways. If you look at the history of the people of God, you find Haman, who was also raised up by his master, the devil, against the people of God to try to destroy them. You look further ahead and you see Herod acting in similar ways, trying to bring death and destruction. Later on in history, we also find men like Hitler, Mussolini, and Stalin. But what's David's response as he says all of this? He sees the wickedness of these men, and then he says, Salah, at the end of verse 3. Reflect on the evil of these men. Reflect on the wickedness that humanity is capable of. But then reflect on the very first response he gives to all of that. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? And the immediate response is, the goodness of the Lord endures continually. The goodness, the chesed of God endures continually. This Hebrew word may be one that you are familiar with. It's the one that is translated as steadfast love in so many other situations, in so many other cases. And it's important to recognize its position here. Doeg is a man who has managed to carry out 
immense amount of evil, an immense amount of wickedness, and he thinks that he has wiped out religion from the land. He thinks he has destroyed the God of the people by taking away their place of worship and by bringing it down to nothing and by killing the priests. And yet, David says, why do you boast, O mighty man? God's chesed, God's steadfast love, his loving kindness endures continually. You haven't won. You have maybe taken down some of the outward trappings, some of the outward parts of religion, but you haven't won. God's loving kindness was there from eternity, and God's loving kindness endures continually. It will always be there. Although they cannot come to the house of the Lord in the way that they would want to, and although they are cut off from it, the steadfast love of God has not changed. Although evil raises itself up, and man is capable of immense wickedness, he has not Men, he has not been able to wipe out the goodness of God. God's covenant is there. And the way that God relates to his covenant people, that chesed within that covenant is still there. And this brings us to our second point, resulting in the uprooting of evil. This next section begins with a phrase after you have that salah and that reflecting back on the wickedness that man is capable of. It summarizes it once again. You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. The picture here is one of which Jesus speaks about as well later in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 44, when he is speaking of, with those who oppose his work. He says to them, You are of your father the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Here we can see that the root of all evil worked with the tongue, including the root of that evil that was worked by the tongue of Doeg, is actually the work of the devil himself. Lies and falsehood, or even using truth, but using it and spinning it in such a way as to cause maximum damage, as happened here with Doeg, saying it in such a time and a place as to imply something that didn't happen. This is the work of the devil himself. And it begins small. In James chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we are reminded to carefully watch what we say, even if it is something small because it can quickly get out of our control. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is itself set on fire by hell. For the devil who delights in letting damaging words grow bigger and bigger, he will begin with something that is small, and he will continue to feed it and to let it grow to make it as destructive, destructive as he can make it, to see how close to death he can bring it. 
And this is the experience of David in Psalm 52. Because you see, what Doeg the Edomite said was strictly true. He said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, and he gave him provisions, and he gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. This is a bare statement of the facts, the facts that took place. But notice what he left out. David's assurance to Ahimelech that he was on a secret mission for the king. Apparently, this was not the first time that Ahimelech had dealt with David as he went out. And that was one of the things that Ahimelech brought forward. He said, I know he is a trusted figure in your court. Ahimelech's fear of doing anything that would be seen as being against the king. He trembled with fear when he spoke to David. And Ahimelech's desire just to be a good citizen in Saul's kingdom. Doeg deliberately leaves out facts to imply something that was actually a lie. He leaves them out to suggest that Ahimelech knew that David was against Saul and that Ahimelech still helped him. He didn't need to say anything false for this lie to be put forward. All he needed to do was say the words in such a way and at just the right time to plant an idea in Saul's mind. And when Saul grew angry, Doeg was more than happy to do what he had hoped to accomplish, namely kill the priests and attack the heart and soul of religion in Israel. He told the truth, but at such a time and in such a way that it became a lie. This is where half-truths can lead if they are used as they are used. They are used by the devil for harm. Remember, as James said, how small a spark is able to set such a big fire ablaze, even bigger perhaps than we intended ourselves. We are warned to see where this comes from. When we use the tongue in this way, it comes from the devil. And this should lead us to carefully watch what we say and to value the truth and to value the good that we can carry out with our tongues. This is also, however, a powerful warning to those who delight in evil, to those who deliberately cause destruction with their words, whether by the tongue or the pen or the keyboard. They will face the same result as the father of lies. In verses 5 to 6, we read, God shall likewise destroy you forever. He will take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous, sorry, stopping there, <clears throat> from the land of the living. This is a great warning, but it's also a great comfort. As we look back on that Salah and we reflect on what came before, we are called to look on and to meditate the outcome for the father of lies and those who share in his work. 
There are those who spread those things. There are those whose actions lead to great damage against God's people. But David reminds the people of God again here that God is on the throne, that Christ reigns, and that he will protect his own. This is his loving kindness, his chesed at work. He's given the covenant, that legal relationship, and this is the result of that love and of that chesed within the covenant, that steadfast, unwavering faithfulness. Though the people of God might experience terrible grief and suffering, it will not go on forever. Even the most wicked of men only have a limited lifespan. And the people of God can rest in the assurance that this wickedness will be dealt with. The picture here is of a tree that's pulled up by the roots. It speaks of his dwelling place, his very tent. God will reach into Doeg's home, his most sacred place, where he thinks himself the most secure, and uproot him from the land of the living. And so it will be with every Doeg that raises himself up against the people of God. Where is Haman? Hanging on the gallows while Mordecai lives. Where is Herod? Lying in the grave while Christ reigned victorious. Where are the figures of our modern history? Hitler is facing his maker. Stalin himself stands before the judge of all the earth. And Satan, the father of lies, Two will face his maker. This will happen because we know that the chesed, the loving kindness of God, is eternal. It will outlive all of the enemies of the people of God. It will hold evil accountable. It will hold falsehood accountable, though it might seem to flourish for a time. The chesed, the loving kindness of God, is eternal. And it will succeed. Because God himself is eternal. And in this, he is able to face comfort. At this moment, all David can say to Abiathar the priest is, Stay with me, do not fear. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. But with me, you shall be safe. He is fleeing. He feels weak and powerless in himself. He's barely even able to provide refuge for one who is running from the very same wickedness. But he rests in the arms and in the loving kindness of a powerful God. And loved ones, so do you. In a situation that you are in, so do you. Christ is on the throne and in, in his loving kindness... In his mercy and goodness, he was willing to suffer even to the point of death for those who believe in him. This very same steadfast love, this loving kindness, means that justice will be poured out and that Christ will protect his own. Christ, who reigns, will return on judge, as judge. But for those who rely on him, he will show his mercy. And this brings us to the third point, ending in the flourishing of the righteous. 
having given a picture of what happens to the tree that is uprooted, David now gives a picture of what happens to the righteous. The righteous, first, he says, shall see in fear. And who did not have a shiver of fear at the power of a just God when God acts on behalf of his people? Who did not have a shiver of fear when Mordecai walked past the gallows on which Haman hung? Haman in his day was a man who was at the height of his power when God brought him down. Yet in the moment of a dinner, he was brought from absolute power to nothing. Doeg likewise would face a similar fate as will one day his master, the devil. God's people have always seen the end of the wicked. But God's loving kindness has never failed. And because of that, that fear, while it is still wise to recognize the justice of God, will only be for a moment and then it will pass. Because for the righteous, those who have been washed clean in the sight of God, in the Old Testament, they were able to look to the sacrifices which pointed to the New Testament sacrifice of the Son of God, those who were cleansed by God himself, by the blood that he had offered for those who are redeemed and those who face the protection of this God. That fear and that reverence is able to turn to joy. This is something that's important to reflect on. Because David himself is able to rest on a righteousness that comes from outside of himself. Though he feels the weight of his responsibility and his grief for his role in what happened, he is able to stand forgiven. He is able to work and to preserve and to continue to move things forward by protecting the last man of Ahimelech's family, resting in the loving kindness of God. Now David having confessed to Abiathar and having grieved what he has done, he can rejoice in the righteousness and the protection through that righteousness which God has given him. A forgiveness which results in God and trusting him with the care of Abiathar and trusting him with the continuation of the priesthood to save the last remnants of centralized worship of God in the nation to continue to live before God in faithfulness. And so, resting in the righteousness which a repentant sinner can find before a God, knowing that the wrath of God passes over the humble and the contrite, David is able to move from fear to joy. For those two who have found themselves perhaps in the position of Doeg. Those who have found themselves in the position of which they don't just feel the guilt of something which they themselves have not done. But in which they feel the guilt of something they actually have done. They too can find forgiveness. They too can find righteousness before God. 
As you come before him and you pray to him and you repent and confess before him, his keset endures forever. His steadfast love becomes your protection. And the wrath passes over for the sake of Jesus Christ, his son, who took that wrath on himself. This has shown God's loving kindness in action. Even in times of power, evil would not win out. Despite wealth and influence and power used for bad end, Doeg did not win. His boasting over what he thought was the destruction of the worship of God in Israel and the end of God's covenant love became the reason for his downfall. And the people of God could say, here is the man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in wickedness. This is the response of God's people because they can trust the very loving kindness that brings justice. They can trust that this also works for the people of God. And it results in flourishing. The tree that is uprooted is then compared to the other tree, the one that is made righteous. I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy. Again, it's that same Hebrew word, chesed, translated as goodness earlier in the psalm. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. When he is in the house of God and when he and his mind and his heart is in the house of God, he is able to remember and to repent and to rest in the sacrifices that God gives him. When he is in the house of God and he remembers the forgiveness and the grace that comes, the chesed of the Lord that comes, he is like a green olive tree. Now, olive trees aren't exactly bright green. I don't know if you've necessarily seen pictures of them. One Englishman described them as being the faded color of hedges in England when they're covered in dirt and soot. But green here is referring not so much to the color, but to the state of the tree. It's flourishing. It's growing. It's living. When he is in the house of God, where he is most clearly reminded of God's promises, there he flourishes the most. When our eyes and hearts are fixed in heaven, where Christ is in the heavenly tabernacle, serving before the throne of God, and we remember that he stands there as the one who paid the sacrifice, that is when we flourish the most, because we know that God's mercy, his chesed, his loving kindness has succeeded and will succeed. And this will lead us to praise. I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name for it is good. God's name, his reputation on which he bases this promise of the covenant love that is unending is able to be the source of that final comfort. And it's by this name that David is able to stand free and forgiven. It's by the name of Jesus, our Savior, that we too can stand 
forgiven of all of our sins. Even in times when we feel responsible, times when we feel we ought to have been able to be there, we ought to have done something. Even in times when we have done things, even for these things we can find forgiveness and grace. Let us praise him. Praise him for his justice. Praise him as we reflect on the end of wickedness. And praise him for his eternal loving kindness, waiting patiently on his name, for it is good. Amen.